Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Dr. Michelle Ross. And Michelle is founder and CEO of Infused Health. She is also author of a book called Vitamin Weed. And we're going to talk to her a little bit about cannabis, about science, about impact of the plant on the brain, and probably a whole bunch of other things. Uh, Michelle's got a quite a varied background uh, and a fascinating background. So I'm excited about this. Michelle, welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love to talk science. So let's nerd out. <laughs> I love it. Um, so before we before we dig into uh, what you're doing right now with cannabis, give us a little bit of sense of your background. Um, you know, I know that you've been a researcher, you've been a scientist. Uh, how, how did that play out? How did you get into cannabis? Give us the backstory. Sure. So I actually published my first paper as a neuroscientist in 2006 on how cannabis and um, other synthetic cannabinoids can grow or kill brain cells. So that was sort of an interesting thing. I never thought I would actually be studying cannabis at all. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey and felt very strongly against people using drugs, and cannabis was one of them. I didn't use until much later in life. So here I was, you know, being in a molecular psychiatry department, uh, learning about all these different legal and illegal drugs, um, studying cocaine, heroin, MDMA, cannabis, all these different things. And, you know, you shift to, I I moved to California uh, to work at Caltech after I got my PhD. And, you know, you're surrounded by the cannabis culture. And you meet people in the industry and all sorts of things happened. And one thing led to another. And I got introduced to the industry and really was told your expertise and your passion for helping people really would be better served if you weren't in the ivory tower of academia, you know, studying, uh, you know, whatever the man, (laughs) aka our government really wants us to study, right? They wanted us to study 
all those fun, yeah. fun uh, things like how cannabis is so addictive and yep. no one should use it and the better it should have it. It's a gateway drug. Yeah. to one joint or something, yeah. you know, a day. And I really wanted to study it for its full potential for mental health, women's health. Like, there's so many things. I literally was like, look at all the different things that yeah. cannabis could do and all the medications it could be replacing, and we're not doing anything with this. Like, that's the exciting part for me was the opportunity. So I sort of went down this path where I took the knowledge that I had. I took my passion for solving big public health challenges. And I said, you know, I left behind what was a very reasonable and a very, very successful trajectory as a drug addiction neuroscientist. Um, like I was at the best universities in the world. And instead, I ended up founding my own nonprofit on cannabis education back in 2013, I mm -hmm. founded a nonprofit called the Endocannabinoid Deficiency Foundation, which <laughs> mouthful. You know, the mouthful, <laughs> yes. Um, but really was based on the premise that, you know, Dr. Ethan Russo had a theory that, you know, people can be deficient in endocannabinoids, which is your natural marijuana like, you know, compounds in your brain and body. Yeah. And so just like we're deficient in vitamin D, we might not have enough anandamide or we might not have enough receptors in an area. And that's what's causing a lot of our illness. Huh. So, I actually wrote a lot of the first articles on the internet. And this is crazy because like now you see like there's 8 billion cannabis websites. But yeah. if you are looking at some of these things like cannabis for an autoimmune disorder or cannabis for pelvic pain, any of the women issues, there was nothing. Yeah. Like there was literally nothing on the internet. You're like, I want to research this. Why was that? Why, why do you, what, what's, what's the explanation? Is this uh, uh, where the money was going? Is this, uh, you know, where we're the powers that be were focusing research? I mean, what, why not? And why was there no information? Um, okay. So <laughs> there was, a, there wasn't a lot of research, you know, on some of these topics. Like for example, if you had Lyme's disease, but you had heard that somebody was using CBD oil or cannabis uh. oil, or Rick Simpson oil for it, it was very much an underground thing. Like, okay, well, the scientists start studying it, but this one guy, you know, gave a syringe to somebody and now they don't have Lyme's disease. Yeah. And it was, there wasn't anything to write articles on, right? Yeah. There wasn't anything about the science. And so a lot of Got people it. were doing actually interesting work anecdotally, right? Mm -hmm. Caregivers were doing good work. There were dispensary owners and even brands that were doing some good work with patients, but nobody was the scientist. So yeah. they couldn't explain why they were seeing some of these results. And so as a scientist, I had access to all the different papers out there and I can read a really, really hard paper and say, okay, like this is the mechanism of how THC is activating or deactivating immune cells you know, different types of brain cells, for example. Yeah. And so I took my science knowledge, talked to some of the best people out there and was able to create some of these articles and like how to of like cannabis and lupus, cannabis and Lyme's disease. And then those articles then got paraphrased, translated in different languages. And now it formed the basis of like what you see out there, which yeah. is now there's ton of articles on a ton of conditions, but it was really crazy to be like, there's nothing out there. And so we started that. We started just working with patients. Um, and then I actually shifted my nonprofit to Denver uh, mm -hmm. because they had legalized Colorado yeah. had legalized cannabis first. So it was the safest place to operate when you're still a very loudmouth uh, advocate um, <laughs> doing some of the things that are in that gray area. You're like, you know, when you're saying bad things about the federal government for, you know, yeah. suppressing research and, and not helping you know, patients and then also fighting for rights for patients in every single state, you know, you have to sort of also realize that you could be under attack. Right. Huh. I, I'm also a cannabis user. So yeah. it wasn't like I was this like safe person where I'm just talking about cannabis, but I'm like, I don't consume or anything. I'm a cannabis user. I have mm -hmm. many different illnesses. And for me, I can't live without my cannabis oil and regimen mm -hmm. and everything for 
for many reasons. And so I always have cannabis on my person, you know, so I always have to be in in a safer area. Like I can't live in, you know, in a place where cannabis is illegal or things like that. So even when I'm traveling, it's actually an issue, but you know, for me, it was, it just made sense to move to Denver. And there were so many opportunities there with the recreational market too. Like that was exciting, you know, to go from, you have to have a medical marijuana card to have this conversation to saying, Anyone can use this for any purpose. It's not recreational per se, right? Like, I I don't, it just means that anyone can access it. It doesn't mean that you're getting high. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm curious, um, you know, part of your story you had in there was, you know, earlier in life, having a certain view or perspective of cannabis and, and this kind of putting it into a category of a type of drug that, you know, typically abused and, and um, you know, I guess I'll say a, a negative connotation to kind of, you know, opening it up to learning more about it or seeing, well, maybe maybe there's a different angle. Often I find with folks that kind of go through that process, there is uh, kind of an impact in terms of family and social and friends and things like that. I mean, what was your experience of, you know, having this, this uh, transition or, or, or changing your view on this? How did it impact and did it, I guess, in terms of, you know, family, friends, things like that, or, or even, you know, colleagues and stuff like that in the science community? What was your experience on that? Oh, goodness. So I have always been the black sheep. Um, okay. So I was the first person in my family even to go to college and like graduate from college. So everyone, you know, was like blue collar, you know, yeah. a lot of them were like UPS drivers and everything. And like, yeah. I love them. Great people. But yeah. like, no one was like, I want to be a rocket scientist yeah. or anything. So yeah. no one already understood like my, my why I wanted to go save people. They understood even doctor. They're like, you know, doctor is a big reach. Why don't you go be a nurse? And I'm like, guys, I'm number one. I'm like my high school class. I skipped like five years. Oh, like funny. I'm the smartest person in like my entire like state or something. Like it was yeah. ridiculous. Like I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to play small. Like, and yeah. so and that was part of the reason why I left. I went to Boston college, you know, got out of my little like town in New Jersey, but most of my family, when they found out that I was studying uh, drug addiction oh. and uh, like molecular psychiatry, like I was trying to explain what I do. And I was like, I was looking primarily in animals and like drug taking models because I wasn't a neurologist. So I had to focus on animals. So I was doing these experiments where I'm giving drugs to rats and boxes that are pressing for like rewards and things like that <laughs> and taking those drugs away to model yeah. drug addiction. And basically most of my family members just did not understand that I was studying drugs. They were like, what do you mean the government gives you drugs? You're taking drugs. You're in rehab. That's why you went away. And I'm like, I'm not a drug dealer. I'm also not a drug addict. I'm helping people with drug addiction. And so when I transitioned to like, okay, I'm studying cannabis to help people with pain and drug addiction and everything else like that. That was the same conversation. Whatever, Michelle, you're a drug dealer. And now you use cannabis, so you're definitely a drug addict. And I'm like, you would rather have me in a wheelchair on like 10 pharmaceuticals than using cannabis. But their view was just that this is a drug. And for some people, you know, we've been able to show this politically, right? Like you're never going to be able to take a Republican and turn them into a Democrat or like vice versa. There's only those like 5% of people you can really radically like swing their political views. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes cannabis is in that bucket and it's really only until they need that for whatever it is, you know, whatever condition that they have that they suddenly switch their view. I think it's ten- it tends to be they have they have a personal experience, either themselves or someone close to them, someone they love, you know, and they end up seeing the benefit or the the, the potential positive application of it. And then they start to open up their mind. But if it doesn't touch them personally, they tend to hold on to that view, I find. Yeah. And it's sort of funny because every single person can benefit from CBD or cannabis in some kind of form, you know. 
It's an antioxidant. It helps with mood, helps with aches and pains, which, you know, everyone has some back pain at some point. Everyone's yeah. going to get into a car accident. Something is going to happen. You have headaches, like whatever it is, there's some benefit for you. Um, and there's definitely benefits over taking natural plant medicine over pharmaceuticals. And yet um, there's still so much stigma. And so even my family at home, it's sort of funny. Even my extended family, it wasn't really, you know, gun ho about what I did until actually I, I published the vitamin week book, which was a funny because that was a book that was like about five years in the making. But once I published that, they're like, wow, you're a published author. And I was like, guys, I wrote another book before that. Like, <laughs> it was actually my second book. But okay, like clearly I came from way too small of a town. That's I was funny. like, I was like, oh, this is my fifth book, guys. Like, yeah. but because I'm the cannabis queen, you yeah. know, like no one, everyone assumes like my family is so proud of me. And I'm just like, eh, well, they're it's not my bag. It's a mixed bag. Yeah. You know, when it comes down to scientists, I was actually a little shocked about some of the responses that I received. Right. Really? So a lot of my colleagues were addictions, like psychiatrists yeah. and psychiatrists are the least supportive of cannabis medicine, uh, partly because they think that, you know, people with mental health issues shouldn't be taking cannabis. Right. Mm -hmm. They think about it in the, terms of, you know, it causes psychosis and some of the old uh, research that's been disproven. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it's like can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah. So a lot of people were thinking that it was actually just swapping one drug addiction for another. You know, mm -hmm. oh, you're helping heroin addicts get off of heroin by giving them cannabis. Shame on you. You know, we, we follow the abstinence model. Yeah. So for a long time, um, my colleagues didn't really want anything to do with me. And I had to seek out cannabis friendly scientists. Yep. And there, you know, there are associations and everything for us, but we really felt like a marginalized group where you're like, I don't understand. This is the endocannabinoid system. It's the largest neurotransmitter system in the body. If you're a neuroscientist, you should be not only know about it, but be excited about it. You know, just like the same way where I was, where I was like, why would I want to study anything else? It seems like the biggest market for opportunity. And I would never say is that something that somebody wants to study is something bad. It'd just be a different approach or something. But there was literally like, you know, you, you all are drug addicts, you yeah. know, we, if we study heroin, we're not doing heroin. And I was like, it's a very different thing. So, you know, you can't, can't convince everyone. It seems like it's an always a challenge to kind of, you know, remove bias and remove kind of personal values or, or, or you know, historical thinking from, from these situations. But yeah, I think it's, I think it, it comes up again and again. I mean, it comes up, you know, on the science level, it comes up on the regulatory level and quite honestly, even on the business level. I mean, I, you know, work with investors and entrepreneurs and stuff in the space. And, you know, part of this is you need to be, you need to be in a friendly group, you know, mm -hmm. and there are some, some folks that just either don't get it or don't want to get it or, or don't want to touch it for reasons that have nothing to do with valid business concerns. It's just a oh. personal opinion and, and, a, and a personal stigma that they have. Yeah. So I wanted to add here. So, yeah. um, you know, in the investment world, so I'm a CEO and I'm a woman founder with a, like a women led company, women advised company, because we really see the ability for cannabis to solve some of the challenges women have, yeah. you know, from not getting diagnosed from their, their diseases. Sometimes it takes 10 years to get a diagnosis for some of their health issues. Uh, you know, their doctor doesn't take them seriously, doesn't yeah prescribe them strong enough medicine once they are diagnosed, like there's a lot of challenges. And we think that cannabis cuts out this gatekeeper and really helps people, you know, be able to heal themselves, mm -hmm. which is, you know, amazing. And it also solves a lot of, you know, years of pain, years of suffering and lowers costs and everything. But when we talk to investors, it's sort of funny because, um, you know, there's still a lot of investors that see this with stigma or vice or, you know, it's not really medicine. Like, And you're like, <laughs> is this a joke? Like, you're just messing with me, right? No, it's not really medicine. Why did we even have this meeting? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, Sometimes they think that I'm an anti-cannabis researcher or something. Like, and I'm just like, really interesting. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm not studying it to to like disprove that cannabis works. Yeah. And I'm like, I guess there are people out there that do that. Um, but it's it's been funny. So I went to a meeting yesterday where I went to a women. Um, 
gets like a VC fund. So they invest mm-hmm. in women um, in healthcare and some of the same verticals that I'm in. And I was like, yes, I should be targeting the women because women are more likely to invest in women like companies. And I asked them, okay, well, I talked to women and because they are so family focused, healthcare focused, some of them are still very averse yeah. to cannabis. They're like, yeah. no, I wouldn't want my husband smoking pot, you know, yeah. and that's all they think about are their kids smoking pot. And you're yeah. like, it's cancer medicine. Right. Yeah. And the CEO of the venture actually says, we don't have any negative perceptions of cannabis. However, we won't invest in any cannabis portfolios. And here's why. Because we still receive federal funding yeah. and like other investors that would pull out of our investment fund. They would if we their portfolio. In yeah. yeah. And you're like, really? So here we have very few funds that are focused on helping women, you know, led startups. And then all of them seem to have it as the vice or like until we raise, you know, a hundred million, like we're not going to go there. And so it really yeah. narrows down the pool of what you can actually <laughs> accomplish. And so you know, we all thought that, you know, there's been this exciting time in yeah. investment right now where women are just getting all the dollars from these angel investors that are women that are popping up and it's not like that for cannabis. In fact, the room that I was in that she said that in, it was in Los Angeles and there was about 10 other female cannabis tech, you know, CEOs in the room and we're all like really like with our mouth open. We're really? like, great, like get another room that's telling us like we're here for you, except for you guys. You can yeah. leave the So it's been super challenging and it really shouldn't be, you know, when you have the science and you've been working in this field for like 10 years, you're like, sometimes you're like, Jesus, but you know, we're persistent in knowing that, you know, the services that we provide and the way that we're going to move from just knowing about some of these cannabinoids, knowing how to treat um, patients correctly to actually being able to, um, you know, target a much bigger market. Like I think that there's not enough people that know about cannabis still, which sounds silly, right? But we're in our little cannabis bubble. When you talk to, say, disease groups, for example, fibromyalgia, that's a a condition I have. For the longest time, these nonprofits didn't even acknowledge that cannabis was a actual real valid medicine, you know, and it was only until maybe the last year that they would say, okay, maybe CBD oil, like, let's talk about that, right? Mm -hmm. And so you had millions of members that were being told by their leadership that this wasn't a valid medicine, so they weren't asking their doctors about it. Now they're having these conversations, but they still don't know. They're still going to doctors that are, you know, paid off by pharma or whatever like that. That, and they're still not getting access <laughs> yeah. to the men you know they're not yeah. getting access to the, yeah. the the treatments that they need and so i think that there's still a lot of education that needs to be deployed you know throughout the united states and throughout all the countries that are coming on board with cannabis it's not just the united states well and that's it yeah the interesting market is international right now yeah so i you know it's fascinating that that you know i think a lot of people's perception is that you know if you've got a cannabis business you know people are throwing money at you and that's that's really not the case. <laughs> I think it's, it's still it's still tough and you still have to navigate a lot of these factors. And I think a lot of investors kind of come into it thinking that they're going to, you know, uh, you know, put this money in, they're going to they're going to make it rich in a matter of a year. And, and as they get into it, they realize that a, a it's it's just like any other business. You still need to do your you know due diligence. You deal, need to do your risk assessment. You know, there's still a, a fairly extended time frame for return on most of these businesses. But it has these other complications that start to come up in terms of yeah, if you have other portfolio businesses or you are have relationships and things like that that can get tainted because of the federal laws around this, it gets complicated. And I think as entrepreneurs, as as uh, you know, founders, as 
CEOs, it's it's a little tough to navigate. And certainly it sounds frustrating. <laughs> and it sounds like it's, yeah. it's tough to get into these rooms and be told that, well, we, we would, but for the fact that we have this issue. Well, the other thing too is milestones. And so if you're dealing with investors that are friendly, right? They'll be like, oh yeah, I use CBD oil, I'm all for it. And then they put you on the same metrics as a traditional business and they don't even realize the number of challenges you've had to overcome as a cannabis related yeah. business. Like we don't even touch the plant or anything. We don't deliver medical marijuana cards. Yeah. We're just delivering education and coaching support via telehealth. Yeah. And we've had issues like, for example, Stripe, you can't do you know credit card processing Jeez. for recurring subscriptions. Yeah. You're like, you're literally like, we've gone through hundreds of back end, you know, pieces to say, okay, well, they didn't kick us off yet. Like, let's cross our fingers for five months until we have to find a new like, yeah. back end for our patient notes or this notes and everyone else is just like, yeah, it's super easy. Just connect this to this and you make money and it grows on trees. And you're like, no, guys, it's not yeah. like that. And then we're like literally praying. We're like, if we made too much money, then they'll shut us down. Like, it's, <laughs> exactly. it's you don't want to be too successful. And then you get attention. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's and so, funny. you know, we've navigated a lot of things. I'm super resourceful as a, you know, a scientist with a business background. And yeah. also I do do some coding and things like that. I've worked for some really like big businesses, yeah. like the people that built MySpace, right? Yeah. Like people don't even know like that aspect. Like I've done a lot of different things because I knew what I wanted to do with this. Right. Yeah. So when you have the foresight to see, you're like, I wouldn't be able to change the direction of medicine through cannabis. And so I picked up all these like interesting skills and mentors along the way. So I've had a very non-traditional career and I've been really excited to put all those things together, but it's still like, it's taken so much more time and it would have been a lot easier trajectory if somebody was like, here's your bag of cash. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the things yeah. that I've built so far has mostly been me. Like I work yeah. like nonstop, but it's been, um, you know, it is productive knowing that uh, other people haven't solved these challenges. So if I don't yeah. do it, it may not get done for a while. And, uh, you know, a lot of the male run businesses don't care so much about the women's health issues. And yeah. sort of funny because you actually even see like there's this, you know, you see women CEOs running like companies that are focused on cannabis for mm -hmm. women's health things. And it's sort of like, it's like we have man cannabis and women cannabis. Yeah. It's sort of funny. <laughs> you know, it is, it is yeah, an it interesting is, facet. But... I mean, there, there is something about this industry that is, there, there, there is a lot of gender discussion, uh, a lot of racial discussion. And, and I think it's what makes it so interesting interesting but it's uh yeah it's a it's a it's an interesting uh kind of dynamic and facet of cannabis market these days is is those those factors i mean it touches on social and cultural you know kind of nerves and uh mm -hmm. i think it's 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 also has a lot of opportunity for for you know both uh you know people of color women you know to actually you know be be involved in a way that it's probably not like other industries because of the nature of its growth and how dynamic it is Yes, yeah, so I wanted to touch on is yeah. sort of funny because I came from this actually from a women um, standpoint. So I founded, you know, Endocannabinoid Deficiency Foundation turned into Impact Network, partly because I said cannabis in there and I wasn't getting any bacon. <laughs> you know, like how to yep. change the name. But we um, we decided to focus in the last three years on uh, cannabis and women's health research, advocacy, et cetera. So we were like serving women only. And, you know, it was right before like that big uh, surge in growth with like Elementa and Women Grow and like all these women groups weren't there. And then all of a sudden they were. So I realized that my the niche I had carved out, like my nonprofit had sort of served its purpose, which was to, you know, spark the five, the revolution of, you know, cannabis and women. So I ended up closing that nonprofit and founding uh, Infused Health. And people, a lot of people ask me, they're like, still, why don't you just focus on serving women? And one of the things as, you know, a researcher and a patient advocate and somebody with chronic illness, 
I felt really bad for the men that were using this medically rather than recreationally because they were getting left out. There's all these support groups out mm. there for women um, that are looking for, you know, help with their migraine, help with their MS, like all these different things. And then a man's like, but I have MS and I want to talk to somebody. Yeah. There's no like men groups out there for the medical things. And it really didn't need to be segmented like that. So I wanted to provide the same access, whether you're a woman or a man, no matter where you are in the world so that you can get the support and help you need. Because it shouldn't be that, yes, you're a sick man, so we forget about you. I yeah. mean, there is right now, like, you know, it is very genderfied. And I think yeah. that that's really not helpful for people that are struggling with mental or physical health issues. Yeah. So let's talk about the business a little bit. And I think as, as we do that, uh, I think we probably need to kind of educate people up a little bit on kind of the dynamics of, uh, you know, our natural internal cannabinoid systems and how the plant products, you know, THC, CBD, all the other, you know, things going on and in, in derivatives of the plant. We have natural receptors in our inside of our bodies at various points interact with these chemicals. You know, can you give people a sense of how that system works and why that, you know, why this is important to understand or, or how the chemicals, how the, how the plant products impacts our bodies and, and helps us in different ways? Sure. So uh, I could go into this probably for like three hours straight. Um, but uh, if you want a really in-depth uh, explanation for this, you can always read vitamin weed. It actually goes into every single endocannabinoid, the ones that you don't even know about every single oh, sure. type of receptor. Yeah. So you'll just have your mind blown. Um, I was actually lucky enough to study with some neuroscientists that had studied uh, the endocannabinoid system receptors before we even know there were the endocannabinoid receptors. Like for example, there was one called trip V that people didn't know what they were. They're like, who knows what this receptor binds to and it turned out to be endocannabinoids so it's like interesting so when did i guess when did when did the model when did the understanding of this first happen like how long ago what, what are we talking about yeah so we're looking at uh the early 60s like late 50s um so there oh. is uh what we call the godfather of cannabis medicine is dr Raphael mishulam in israel he is amazing he uh -huh. actually got uh, a form of cannabis called hash and isolated thc from there so uh -huh. literally got like hash from the cops took yeah. it to his lab because there's no legal source yeah. of cannabis to study yeah. and isolated THC. His team also isolated CBD, found the cannabinoid receptors. Um, most of the work that we know um, is due to their, his work. Um, and he even received federal funding from the United States for his cannabis work because the work he was doing would be illegal in the United States. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of funny. Um, so yeah. that's why Israel is a lot farther along than we are in, in the United States. But I got to actually meet the scientists that, you know, yeah. discovered all these things. So it's, it's, it's it, that, that was really a meaningful, you know, time to meet those researchers in person that you've been like, you know, go, go, you can Google, you can you know, read their work and then you meet them and you're just like, thank you for, for yeah. studying, you know, doing this valuable work. So the endocannabinoid system is the largest neurotransmitter system in your body. And what a neurotransmitter system is, it's actually how two brain cells talk to each other. So they send like little signals to each other. So they send um, basically neurotransmitters, which could be dopamine, it could be serotonin, uh, it can be an endocannabinoid like anandamide. Um, there's all these different chemical signals that they can release from one brain cell to the other to send a message like move your arm or think this thought or things like that. So 
it's really important how much of these neurotransmitters are transmitted between one neuron and the other. So if, for example, if you have a brain cell that controls your mood, right, um, or anxiety, and it doesn't send enough serotonin, you might, you know, end up with an imbalance in your brain and feel depression or something like that. So the amounts and frequency and timing of the, the neurotransmitter release is really important for all sorts of things that happen in your brain and body. So the endocannabinoid system is really unique because it actually regulates how much of these other neurotransmitters are released. So it can help uh, regulate how much of every single neurotransmitter from the GABA to the glutamate to the serotonin, you know, all these different neurotransmitters, it regulates the other neurotransmitters. So in general, when your when your endocannabinoid system is off, mm-hmm. you could be off in all these other systems. It. Huh. So it's interesting because like you can... You've never had a drug target that can fix everything from your mood to your achiness. Yeah, it's almost like a primary. It's like the the system that controls the systems. Exactly. Yeah. So I, you know, I always like to say, hey, it's the fine tune knob on your, you know, on your radio when you're yeah. trying to get, you know, that channel like crystal clear. Uh-huh. But it's a little off. I mean, you can still hear the music, but it sort of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so you won't really want to be living life in 3D and color. You know, if you really want to talk about, you know, performance whether it's physical and cognitive performance. And I know like investors and business people are always like, you know, I want to be more productive. I want to be happier, smarter, more focused. (laughs) Well, if you have a rundown endocannabinoid system, you're not going to feel focused. You're not going to feel great. You're just going to feel like crap. And most Americans feel like crap. I mean, we're already feeding ourselves, um, you know, McDonald's and junk food. We're not getting enough sleep. We're stressed out. We're not exercising. And it's interesting because, I mean, all those things obviously have negative you know, impacts on your health, but they yeah. can also destroy your endocannabinoid system. So we know that stress is one of the biggest things that makes your endocannabinoid system run down. So, I mean, stress is horrible for your brain, but you can actually burn out some of those brain cells that control so many different things, yeah. like, you know, your ability to say no to, you know, high fat, salty foods or things like that, your ability to remember things. The endocannabinoid system actually regulates your ability to forget things. Like, oh, it's, a, it's important for so yeah. many different things. Yeah. So I like to talk to people about vitamin D. It's it's the easiest thing. So for the longest time, people would you know be told by the government, oh, we all get enough vitamin D. You don't need supplements. So like they, you, the government is always telling us we don't need multivitamins and keeps coming out with with studies that say, oh, you know, you take a multivitamin, it didn't do anything, you know, like, so don't even take them, right? But what they actually did was take blood levels of vitamin D from people and found out like 90% of people are actually deficient in vitamin D. Sorry, you yeah. know, the government's been lying to you for years. And it wouldn't be so bad if like vitamin D didn't do anything. But it turns out that vitamin D had like 150 purposes yeah, exactly. in your body. Yeah. <laughs> like it's really important. And for some people, especially those struggling with mental health issues, depression, um, if you don't get enough vitamin D, if you don't get enough you are depressed. And so what you need instead of a Prozac is vitamin D. Like that's so simple. Like it's like 25% of depressed people could just actually be treated with vitamin D. <laughs> oh. That's so messed up. And well, so, yeah, it yeah, is. So we have, you know, endocannabinoids such as anandamide and 2-AG. So anandamide is one of the things that you can actually have low levels of mm-hmm. and due to stress. And there's been several studies where they look at things like everything from firefighters that, you know, fought fires in um, 9-11, for example. Oh, yeah. There was a study and they showed that they had PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder um, and other mental health issues following that very, very traumatic event. 
where the Twin Towers fall in New York City. And um, there's been other studies where they have looked at people that have gone through trauma and high levels of stress, and they all have uh, endocannabinoid deficiency. And so the treatment for some of these these syndromes, like PTSD, is actually to provide cannabis. And so Mm -hmm. you'll be able to basically boost and restore function in the endocannabinoid system, which then fixes the serotonin, the dopamine, you know, everything else in their system. And they're happy again, and they're able to forget traumas and like, you know, they're able to move on with their life. So there's a whole bunch of different conditions, including fibromyalgia, um, including migraine that are rooted in endocannabinoid deficiency. And we'll actually probably find out that there's a lot more conditions, like even Crohn's disease, for example, there are actual genes that code for cannabinoid receptors and they can have mutations in them so that these receptors don't work so well, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, the receptor doesn't really bind to, you know, whatever the target molecule that's supposed to bind to it because it's got a mutation. It's a little wonky, right? Mm-hmm. Crohn's disease, patients have mutations in the cannabinoid type 1 receptor, the CB1 receptor, and the CB2 receptor. There's like 20 other conditions now where we're finding they're like, yeah. hmm, what's wrong with this? Oh, it's the cannabinoid related, yeah. So, hmm, if your cannabinoid receptors aren't working so well, you might need more, <laughs> more stimulation. And, yeah. you know, there's really not an anandamide product you can take. If you take an anandamide pill, the anandamide will be just broken up by like your oh, stomach yeah. juices. It, it's not really useful, but yeah. THC, however, you can eat it and it will actually go and bind to those CB1 and CB2 receptors and activate your endocannabinoid system and work. And so that's why you know, using THC is really helpful for people that have some sort of endocannabinoid yep. deficiency or dysfunction. So I will say that the, like there is a lot of deficiency. There's also some people that have too much and like endocannabinoids too. Obesity is also on the other range where you might actually have too much anandamide. And mm. so it's always about balance in your body, right? You never want too little of something and too much of something. So there's some people that will ask me, right? They go, well, if THC is so great and I'm trying to restore my deficiency, I can, I should take all the THC and possibly take and you're like no <laughs> no please don't dab 80 times a day that's probably not a good thing yeah well, there's uh, different issues there so so we have these systems we have these balances I, I guess the the trick is is how do we how do we figure out the right levels how do we figure out which ones to take what is the mechanism of actions like how do, how do i do this and that's that's where infused health comes in is that so so how how does infused health help with people finding the right the right regimen, the right um, uh, kind of product mix and stuff for them? Like, how are you approaching this? Yeah, so we've done a lot of research um, into what products are in the market. Um, Some of the biggest challenges are that because um, the products are not federally legal, that you can't yeah. even have some of the same products in the same, you know, in, in multiple states, yeah. right? So if you're in New York, you might not have access to the same products that are in California. So it makes some of these things challenging. For example, we've met people where we can look at their genetic data and suggest, okay, you probably need this specific cannabinoid that isn't even available in your state. Okay, well, what can we do hmm. instead with a terpene combination that might help do, you know, delivers the same benefits, whether it's appetite suppression, whether it's seizure control, et cetera. We try to figure out, you know, sort of like concierge medicine, like what is the best solution for you based on your demographic, based on on your financial abilities, because cannabis isn't reimbursed by health insurance. So it's one thing to say, you know, you need this RSO or this Rick Simpson oil, but in many states, if you're buying it at a dispensary, it's $1,200 a month without reimbursement from health insurance. So like you have to figure out for that patient, okay, if you have a limited budget, you know, maybe using a cannabis depository is actually your best method for getting a lot of cannabinoids in there with 
without a lot of costs. Like yeah. these are the conversations somebody is not going to be having at a dispensary. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. they're also not going to be counseling them on, okay, well maybe get this tincture, turn it into a suppository yeah. so that you can get, get, um, you know, the right amount of cannabinoids to where you need them for, um, yeah. you know, when you're targeting colon cancer, for example, versus, you know, you're trying to help with depression. These are very different things that require different treatments yeah. and, your average doctor just doesn't know about this or it is even legally restricted about having yeah, this I mean, this you. is the fascinating part of this is that, uh, you know, the, the, the way these systems are set up is the doctors, I mean, they, they basically authorize that you, you have a qualifying condition, but they actually don't, there's no really prescribing or advice giving or anything. And they can't actually talk to the dispensaries either. So you end up in this, okay, great. I've got a card. Now I'm on my own. Yeah. And it's, it's been so challenging. Um, you know, part of, of my journey about, you know, creating our nonprofit, creating this company that is all about cannabis health coaching and education was how hard it was for me to find the right products. Um, I've lived in multiple places in multiple States. You know, I had certain products I used in Colorado that aren't available here when I moved to Cal back to California in, in May. And, you know, for, many conditions, you have a different set of conditions based on how much stress you have, based on how active you are. Like fibromyalgia, for example, you have pain, you have spasms, sleep issues, all sorts of different things, and they're not the same every day. So you literally have to have like a whole pharmacy and you have to know when to use what product, yeah. right? And it's, it's a little challenging for the average person. So some people will take a product and they'll say, I thought cannabis was supposed to relieve my pain, but instead I smoked a joint and instead it flared up my sciatica yeah. and now I'm like really paranoid and like anxious about this pain that's yeah. like stabbing in my back. And these are the conversations people aren't having. Everyone, you know, when you read on the internet about cannabis, people are like, oh, it helped with the seizures. Oh, it changed my life. I took one CBD and now yeah. like everything is cured. And yeah. so people even have almost shame where they're like, why isn't yeah. cannabis working for me? Yeah. And they won't, they don't have anyone to talk to about it. Everyone else is doing great on it and they're not doing great. And sometimes it turns out it's a medicine interaction. People do take other pharmaceuticals yeah. and sometimes THC or CBD may amplify something that they're not looking for. Yeah. Or it can make context, right? People don't even understand. Like if you have an underlying anxiety issue yeah. and taking it with other people is not, you know, does not make you feel good, you need to acknowledge that and learn how to take it in the context that work for you because it will amplify emotions, whether they're positive, whether they're negative. A lot of people have trauma. This has been the most exciting topic for me. And this is something that I've been really able to explore here in California because everyone's all about releasing their trauma. There's a lot of people that are doing psychedelic work here, mm -hmm. things like that. And it's all about, um, you know, uncovering your wounds, to, you know, for better mental and physical health. Because some people are holding on to trauma, yep. like things that happened in their childhood, things that happened in their adulthood. And it's actually making them sick and like not treating it. And so, you know, they're expressing that trauma with physical symptoms, right? Yeah. Their migraines or spasms, whatever. And sometimes cannabis actually reactivates like that trauma or makes people feel uncomfortable with some things. It's like weird. It's like cannabis is a very honest medicine. It's actually a spiritual medicine. Like people think that they're taking it, you know, it, like it's a pharmaceutical, like you're popping a pill. It's not like that. Like yeah. it's going to heal you on the inside. It's also going to do some things to your brain chemistry that may make you think about things that you weren't thinking about before. And so if you have a lot of trauma, you might not um, have great experiences with cannabis. And yeah. the people that had the most negative experiences, that's what they find out. You're like, why were you anxious? Why did you not feel good? Let's talk about your intentions, like where you're going. Let's, you know, to actually have a coach that can say, okay, you weren't having a good time with cannabis. And that's because you were thinking about some kind of relationship that you had that wasn't yeah, right. Yeah. Or you're thinking about your job that you hate right now. You hate your job. 
you are starting to feel better with cannabis. Let's think about changing other things in your life. Like literally cannabis can be the catalyst for a better life in so many different ways. And people are having these conversations now that they didn't feel honest with them with themselves to have before. So yeah. like it's an exciting thing. There's a lot of life coaching involved. And how and how does your coaching model actually work? So if you are 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 working with a, a client, how do they engage with their coach? What what does that look like? Yeah. So uh, right now we have a mo- like a very basic su- subscription model. So we do 60 minutes a month of coaching. Of course, people can add more if they want to, but we have a combination of a self-guided course that helps people log in and like learn about how to use cannabis, write down some of those intentions and things like that. So they can write down and actually read it and like coach themselves and then check in with a coach once every two weeks. Um, but we make sure that we review that cannabis or CBD is safe for them. Um, that, you know, that they are using the, the products properly, that they're actually getting the results that they're looking for. So we have some uh, clients that do more than the, you know, twice monthly coaching sessions. They want, you know, weekly ones because they have a lot bigger goals, right? If you're trying to get yourself out of a wheelchair and off yeah. like 10 prescription, it's a lot more intense than like, I just want to feel happier, yeah. right? So yeah. we have different levels, um, a lot of add-ins in there, but our model is very different because I have actually been doing the education and training of all the doctors, nurses, and nonprofits yeah. you know, for years. So we have a module on pain. We have a module on weight loss fitness. We have a module um, on anxiety, depression. You have to be careful when you're like calling these things, like we call it stress, right? Because we know yeah. that with legalization, you can't really say that you're healing medical conditions unless you're a doctor. So we're yep. dealing with your stress, right? But yeah. stress really manifests as anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. PTSD, right? Yeah. So our goals are to help you with one of those big three things. And we usually take um, eight weeks to uh, 12 weeks for any of those programs. We, yeah. you know, healing doesn't happen the first time you smoke a joint. It just doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it takes a little time to go through those programs, but our, our program costs $150 a month, which we think is reasonable for concierge medicine and for the, the high level coaches. All of our coaches are certified health coaches and, you know, you can talk to them just like we're talking right now over Skype, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter whether you're in Kentucky or in Australia, we can help you and assist you in finding the products that we you know are safe and are effective and no matter you know what your goal is whether it's a mental health goal a physical health goal we have that expertise and Perfect. we also have like this whole network of coaches which is like so exciting that there are different people that are different experts in different yeah. things whether it's because they've been working in a nursing home and they they really care about you know oh patients with alzheimer's or parkinson's or things like that there are some people that are really passionate about that there's some people that are passionate about helping people with PTSD, for example, because that's something that they went through. And now they are armed with the science and with the health coach training to really be able to help patients specifically with that. So we try to match through our intake Mm -hmm. uh, forms with people that are actually specifically trained in and have expertise in their condition. Because I hate this about cannabis. Like you go to a cannabis doctor, right? And they're like, okay, I have breast cancer. I want to talk to the cannabis doctor. And then Doctor's like, I don't know, I was a neurologist before I went into this. Like, and they're just basically bullshitting. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're oh, trying to mismatch. do their best. Yeah, exactly. But it's you don't go to a cardiologist for brain health. Like, you don't see an OBGYN for your liver problems. Yeah. And um, because cannabis health coaching, cannabis coaching, even cannabis doctors, it's a very new field. There's not a lot of us. Yeah. And, you know, we're trying to do the best we can with what we have. But I think that the health coaching model is a way that we can train more people, um, not necessarily having to send them, you know, for, you know, uh, doctorates and and medicine, but we can arm them with the knowledge that they need, um, supervised by other coaches and nurses and doctors, and they can provide the support. That's great. If people want to find out more about Infused Health, about your background, uh, the work that you're doing, 
What, what's the best place to get more information? Sure. So you can find everything about us and our health coaching programs at infusedhealth.com. Great. I'll make sure that link is on the show notes so people can click through. Uh, Michelle, this has been great. I, I've learned a lot. <laughs> I'm sure we could go on for several more hours <laughs> on, on these and other topics. Um, but this has really been a pleasure and I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.